0: This past week, I asked my son, Charlie, what he thought about VBS. I thought you all would be really encouraged to know that he said that this was the best VBS ever. But before you start patting yourselves on the back, I will remind you that he's only three years old, and he's been to approximately two VBSs in his entire life, so probably not the best judge to go by. But as somebody who's been to more than a couple of vacation Bible schools in my life, I can say that it was a really great VBS. And I want to say thank you to all of you who worked so hard this week and all the weeks leading up to make it possible. Thank you to all you parents and grandparents, guests who entrusted us with your kids this week, because the more kids we have, the more fun it is. So thank you. But as we come to the end of a special week like this, and we've drained the swamp, What should we do now? How should we respond? I know some of you, if you're anything like me, you've already responded this weekend by sleeping in a little bit later. Some of you are probably ready to get out of the swamp and get on a beach, and that's okay. You all certainly deserve it after how hard you've been working. But by far, the best way that we as a church family can respond after a week like this is with praise. With great praise for our great God. And that is exactly what this psalm is all about. Psalm 145 is a praise psalm. And while there are many praise psalms in the book of Psalms, this one has some unique features that make it stand out. For starters, it's the only praise psalm that actually has the title A Psalm of Praise. Songs of Praise, is that's the original title of the book of Psalms. And out of the 150 Psalms, this is one of only nine acrostic Psalms. That means that each verse begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So if it was written originally in English, first verse, first word would start with the letter A. Second verse would start with a word with the letter B and so on and so forth down to the letter Z. Something else you might also notice is that this psalm is attributed to King David. Now, that in and of itself doesn't make it very special. There are believed to be 73 psalms written by King David. But this one is his last psalm to appear in the book of Psalms. And another important distinction, perhaps the most important, is what we see in the beginning of this psalm. Most praise psalms all have a similar three-part pattern, and they all begin in a similar way with a call or an invitation to praise God. Most praise psalms begin like Psalm 146. The next one we see here, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. The first line is plural. The second line is singular. That's how a lot of praise psalms begin with an invitation or a command to the individual and to the crowd To praise God But King David does something a little different here Look at how Psalm 145 begins King David doesn't merely invite us to praise God He expects us to praise God Look at me beginning in verses 1 and 2 I will extol you, my God and King And bless your name forever and ever Every day I will bless you And praise your name forever and ever Did you notice the difference? He says, I will extol you. I will bless you and praise your name. Now jump down to verses four through seven and notice how this expectation spreads to the praise of others. Verse four, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. In these verses, King David never really commands himself or anyone to praise God. He asserts it. He confidently expects that it will happen. He shall and we shall praise God. But we won't just praise God any old way. Did you see that? This isn't an expectation of ordinary praise. It's an expectation of extraordinary praise. King David doesn't expect that God will just get praise. He expects that God will get great praise. But why? Well, I believe the answer is in verse 3. Verse 3 is a really good summary of what this whole psalm and really what the whole book of psalms is all about. Look with me there. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is is unsearchable. King David expects that God will get great praise because God alone is truly great. There is no one and no thing greater than the Lord. And when you see Lord in all caps like that, that is God's personal name, Yahweh. David uses God's personal name because he's not just talking about some generic pluralistic coexist bumper sticker god. He is talking about the one true living god. He's talking about the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's talking about the triune God who has eternally existed as one God in the three persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yahweh alone is worthy of great praise because Yahweh alone is truly great. He is so great, David says, that his greatness is unsearchable. It's limitless. Think about it. We now have telescopes that can search out and take pictures of galaxies far, far away. (laughs) 4.6 billion light years far away. Did you all see those pictures? Okay, like four of you, I think, saw those. Well, after the service, go look up James Webb telescope pictures, and it'll blow you away. They were incredible. But we could have another billion years of technological advancements, and we would never even begin to scratch the surface of the greatness of the God who created all those great galaxies. Let me bring this back down to Earth for a moment. What this means really practically for you and me this morning is this. The degree to which we see God for who he truly is, for how great he truly is, that will be the degree to which, we, which our praise of God will be great. A mediocre view of God results in mediocre praise of God. But the problem is not with God. The problem is with us. The problem is we all have spiritual cataracts, And our vision of God's greatness is blurred by our sin and clouded by the vain things of this world. So how do we clear it up? Well, we we get a clearer view of the greatness of God as we gather for worship each Sunday morning and we declare His greatness to one another. We get a clearer view of His greatness as we speak to one another of the might of His awesome deeds in our lives at our Bible fellowship groups. We get a clear view of God as we put our phones down and pick our Bibles up and meditate on His wondrous works. If you find yourself having a hard time greatly praising God, it's not because something is lacking in God, it's because something is lacking in you. You need to see more of His greatness. And in just a moment, in the second part of this psalm, we will. But here in this first part, David shows us what great praise looks and sounds like. For instance, great praise is consistent. Every day I will bless you and praise your name. Great praise is loud. They shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Great praise is quiet. On your wondrous works I will meditate. We can praise God greatly with our great thoughts of Him in our minds. Great praise is personal. I will extol you, my God and King. And great praise is interpersonal. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. Great praise can't be contained. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness. It could be translated, they shall burst or they shall gush forth The idea is that great praise can't be held back or held in. No dam is strong enough to contain the roaring waters of God's praise. But we could keep going. But one aspect of great praise that I want to make sure that we highlight this morning at the end of VBS is in verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Great praise is multi-generational. Think about it for a moment. How do you know if something is truly great? For instance, you might think that the new Top Gun movie is the greatest movie of all time. But how do you know? How do you know for sure? It's not just because you think it's awesome. It's not just because everybody else is praising it right now. That doesn't mean much. I will remind you that there was a time in this country when everybody was praising a song called the Macarena So public opinion doesn't really mean much at all No, the way we'll know that this is truly the greatest movie of all time Is if one generation praises its greatness to another for the next thousand years or more For comparison's sake think about the pyramids in egypt The the pyramids of Giza are called the Great Pyramids of Giza. And not just because they're great in size, but because for 4,000 years, one generation has praised their greatness to another. For literally thousands of years, people have been traveling from all over the world, young and old alike, to marvel at those pyramids. But the great praise of Top Gun or the great pyramids of Egypt pales in comparison to the great praise of God. No one and no thing has ever been praised as greatly as our God. Which is one reason we know God truly exists and is truly great. One generation has commended God's greatness to another since the first generation. Since Adam and Eve walked with God and declared His mighty acts to their children. Since that day, since that first generation, there has been an unbroken chain of great praise For our great God. And this past week at VBS, we added another link to that chain. That's why I'm so thankful to be a part of a church where multi-generational praise is not just limited to one week out of the summer. It's happening every week of the year. It happens every Sunday as boomers and zoomers and every generation before and after and in between get together and declare his mighty acts to one another. It's happening right now during Kids Bridge and back in Ashland Kids as volunteers serve and teach the next generation about God's greatness. It happens as you all serve during Awana and at Ashland Students. It's happening during the week as parents disciple their children, as older Christians meet with our college students. Multi-generational praise is happening all the time at Ashland Church, and it's one of the things that I love most about our church family. God gets great praise when one generation praises him to another. And that's one aspect of great praise that we see in the first part of this psalm. The first part shows us that great praise is multi-generational. The next part shows us that God's greatness is multifaceted. Here, King David begins a long list of reasons God is great and worthy of great praise. We don't have time to go into all these verses in detail, but I hope that we get a glimpse of God's greatness. Because even though God's greatness is unsearchable, King David is going to go ahead and get the search party headed in the right direction. Look with me beginning in verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God proclaimed words similar to these to Moses as he passed by him on Mount Sinai. And this verse sets the stage for all the coming reasons for God's great praise. Verse 9. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. From this verse on, I want you to pay attention to how often that little word all appears. It's used 17 times in the rest of this psalm because God's greatness is comprehensive in its nature and in its scope. All of creation experiences his goodness and mercy every day for he makes his son to rise on both the evil and the good as Jesus said. Verse 10, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Since all of creation receives good from God, God will receive thanks from all of creation, from the hills of eastern Kentucky to the swamps of Louisiana. All creatures here below will praise him. Now, the next three verses all focus on God's glorious kingdom and his kingship. Verse 11, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. Before all the saints go marching in to God's glorious kingdom, they will declare, they will speak of it. They will tell it to others in verse 12. Make known to the children of man your mighty deeds in the glorious splendor of your kingdom. They'll make it known to their children, to other children as they wear mullet wigs and play guitar. And they will make it known to them as they gather in their homes for family worship. Verse 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. God's praise will continue from one generation to the next without end because God's reign will continue from one generation to the next without end. Now, these next two lines, you'll notice maybe those little brackets there, don't let those concern you too much. They may or may not have been in the perfect original text written by King David, but Regardless, there are other places in the Bible that teach God's faithfulness to his word, like in Psalm 119. And the second line of that verse is found down in verse 17. So we'll continue on with verse 14, which transitions from the great kingdom to the character of the great king. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. When you cannot stand under the weight of all of life's stresses and struggles, it is the Lord. Who will sustain you? Verse 15 and 16. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. We are all like the family dog at dinnertime, looking up with our puppy eyes, hoping that our master will throw us a couple scraps. But God is not just throwing us some table scraps. All we have needed, his hand hath provided, as the hymn says. In fact, he knows what we need even before we ask. Verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Everything that happens, everything that happens, happens according to God's righteous and kind will. Or as the Apostle Paul says, his perfect will. But Even when it's difficult for us to understand how prolonged illness or sudden tragedy can be a part of God's perfect will, God does not abandon us in our struggle. Verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. For the believer in Christ, his very spirit dwells within us. He not only hears us when we call out to him in prayer, but verse 19, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Now, I hope you noticed that that little three-letter word that occurs 17 times in this psalm did not occur in that verse. Because God does not promise to fulfill all our desires here below. And as long as we are in our sinful flesh, that's a good thing. It's a good thing that we don't get everything we ask for, that God says no to some of our desires. As the great hymn writer Garth Brooks once said, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And we can all look back and see that in our own lives. No, God will provide and has provided for all of our real needs, including our greatest need which we see in the last verse in this section. This last verse, it stands out a bit, doesn't it? I think that's intentional. All these other verses have a certain style, a certain rhythm, a certain structure. The first line of each verse makes a statement. And then the second line either reinforces or adds more detail to it. But not verse 20. Just about every one of these verses says this and that, or the and is implied. For example, the Lord upholds all who are falling down and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. This and that, 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 this and that. Verse 20, the Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy Verse 20 is a deliberate contrast at the end of this part of the psalm, and that makes it really stand out. King David had seen this happen all through his life. God had preserved him from Goliath and from King Saul and from the Philistines and from his own son Absalom. He saw, King David had seen God preserve all those who love him and destroy all the wicked throughout all of Scripture and throughout all the history of his ancestors. So he praises God for his grace in preserving his people, and his justice in destroying his enemies. So do you see what I mean when I said that this psalm shows us that God's greatness is multifaceted? We don't worship a boring one-dimensional God. In just 13 short verses, we see God's goodness, God's grace, God's patience, God's love, God's mercy, God's glory, God's kingship, God's mighty deeds, God's compassion, God's provision, God's generosity, God's perfect will, God's righteousness, God's kindness, God's nearness, God's salvation, God's sustaining grace, God's justice. And that's not all. On every page of the Bible, we see all this greatness and more. But another place we can see God's greatness on display is in our own lives. Because these aren't just a bunch of abstract qualities of some abstract God. We all can and should sit down and pray through this psalm and praise God for specific tangible ways that he has demonstrated his greatness to us in these specific ways. Praise God for how he has been gracious and merciful and slow to anger with you when you have not been gracious and merciful and slow to anger with your coworker who dropped the ball and now you have to pick up the slack. Praise God for how he raised you up from that hospital bed or for how he held you up at that funeral. Praise him for how he has given you not just your daily bread and probably not even a week's worth, but probably a month's worth of daily bread in your kitchen. Praise him for being near to you when you felt so alone and so depressed and like nobody could possibly understand you. Praise Him for fulfilling your desires when He brought the families and children that you invited to VBS. God is worthy of great praise for all of His greatness to us. And we can see God's greatness in all of this psalm, in all of Scripture, and in all of our lives. But the clearest place we see God's greatness on display is not just a place, it's a place. And a person. The person is the person of Jesus Christ. And the place is the cross of Jesus Christ. We see the greatness this psalm is talking about best in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus began his earthly ministry speaking of the glory of the kingdom of heaven, which was at hand in him. He let the little children come to him so that he could declare God's mighty acts to them. His kingdom is not of this world, but is an everlasting kingdom which will someday fill the whole world. Jesus is the one who upheld tax collectors and prostitutes and who raised a woman up who was literally bowed down with a disability for 18 years. And when over 10,000 eyes looked to him, He took five loaves of bread and a couple fish and opened up his hands and satisfied their desires. All his ways were righteous. All his works were kind. No one loved God the Father like God the Son. Yet on the cross, the Lord did not preserve him. On the cross, Jesus was destroyed like the wicked. On the cross, as Jesus dies in the place of wicked sinners like you and me, we see the greatness of God's love and the greatness of God's justice fully on display. God loved you so much that he did not preserve his one and only son, but on the cross let him die. Jesus let the skin of his back be destroyed by lash after lash after lash with whips tipped with metal and bone. Jesus let the the flesh, the blood vessels, the muscles in his hands and in his feet be destroyed by nails. He let his life be destroyed so that by faith in him, your life. May be preserved forever. So, what are you waiting for? (laughs) Forsake all your sin and put all your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. If by faith you cry out to God, He will hear you and He will save you, and He will fulfill your greatest desires for everlasting life and never ending joy. And in the end, God did preserve his beloved son, didn't he? He preserved his son's body for three days in a tomb until that glorious morning when he raised him up from the dead. And by his death and resurrection, God satisfied all his justice and destroyed the power of sin and Satan and death and destined their ultimate destruction in the lake of fire forever. But the reality is, our problem is not that we all have spiritual cataracts and our vision of God's greatness is just a little blurry. According to the Bible, it's far more serious than that. According to the Bible... We are blind. We are blinded by our sins so that we cannot see God's greatness at all. And the only way you're ever going to give our great God great praise is if by His grace, His Spirit opens your spiritual eyes to see the greatness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But when by faith in Him... When by faith in him that happens, and by faith you see how great your wickedness is and how great his love is, then you won't ever want to stop praising him. You'll want to praise him forever and ever. And that is exactly what is going to happen. Verse 21. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. This is how the psalm begins and how the psalm ends. David began by declaring, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Because great praise is not merely multi-generational. It's eternal. God's praise is eternal because God's greatness is eternal. God's praise will be never-ending because God's glory will be never-ending. It's immortal. Not even death can stop the praise of God. Since Jesus died and rose again to life, never ending, that means we, his praise givers, by faith in him, though we die, we will be raised to life, never ending. The Lord Jesus will preserve all who love him for all eternity. And we will spend all eternity delighting in and praising Jesus for his greatness because we will see him as we have never seen him before every day we will greatly praise king jesus as he sits upon the throne in power over his everlasting kingdom every day we will greatly praise jesus as he opens his nail-scarred hands to fulfill our every desire every day We will search out more of his unsearchable greatness and we'll never get tired of it because we won't be searching it out in a swamp. We'll be in a city, in a beautiful garden city in the new heavens and new earth where we won't have to imagine what his majestic splendor of his glory will be like. We'll see it for ourselves because we will see him. The eyes of all Christians from all nations will look into the eyes of Jesus. We will see him face to face and we will greatly praise his name every day forever and ever and ever and ever.